Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Peter Cornblue. Cornblue is a senior analyst at the National Security Archive, where he directs the archive's Chile documentation projects. From 1990 to 1999, he taught at Columbia University as an adjunct assistant professor of international and public affairs. He is the author and editor of a number of National Security Archive books, including The Pinochet File, a declassified dossier on atrocity and accountability which the LA Times selected as a best book of the year. Let's hear what he has to say about the Chilean coup of 1973. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a very important time to be discussing uh, this extraordinary history, particularly when a very similar history is being played out now in the Ukraine with another hegemonic power asserting its idea that might makes right in the region. I can't believe the timing, honestly. So could you start off by giving us some background on the political climate in Chile during the 1950s and 60s? Um, It'd be great if you could set the scene for us. Well, the country of Chile, it was once referred to by the famous Chilean poet Pablo Neruda as a long petal of sea and wine and snow. It's an extraordinarily beautiful country, very long, very thin Um, 
ranging from the Antarctica all the way up to the Atacama Desert. Um, beautiful physical country and a dynamic political country. As Latin American countries uh, go in the in the 1950s, 1960s, um, Chile was a relatively stable country. Um, it, it had a uh, a dynamic political system where where there was a fairly substantive presence on the left. There was a strong socialist party. There was a strong communist party. Pablo Neruda himself, people may not know, was a member of the Chilean Communist Party. Um, and um, but as so many Latin American countries, it was an incredibly unequal country. Um, the vast masses of, of people in Chile were were, were poor. Um, and there was a kind of an oligarchical structure um, in which uh, very few people were wealthy uh, and controlled most of, of the wealth in the country. What wealth Chileans did not control was controlled by U.S. corporate interests, frankly. Uh, Chile was a uh, country that was dependent on the export of copper. Uh, some of the largest copper mines in the world were in Chile, but those mines were owned by two major U.S. corporations, Kennecott Copper and Anaconda Copper. Uh, the utilities uh, were owned by U.S. companies as well. The telephone company was in Chile was owned by IT&T, the famous, famous interventionist uh, U.S. corporation. Um, and, um, and so Chileans really wanted to, to assert their economic independence and their sovereignty. And there was a whole significant movement to nationalize um, these U.S. holdings that began long before Allende became a president, uh, frankly, uh, and kind of dominated the political, uh, the political trajectory of the country in, in the 50s and, and 60s. So when does Allende come into the political sphere and what are his main objectives? He was one of uh, Chile's perennial um, uh, politicians. Uh, he was in some ways the Bernie Sanders of Chile. Uh, he had, was a, a, a doctor by training, a pediatrician, and, um, uh, and he turned to, to be a politician at a relatively young age. When he was elected president in 1970, this was already the fourth time he'd run for president. He ran for president in 1952. He ran for president in 1958 uh, and 1964. And in 1958, he came this close, this close to actually being elected president. Uh, this was a whole year before the Cuban Revolution. And um, his near election in 1958 kind of shocked uh, the Washington foreign policy establishment, because here was a socialist uh, who, you know, came close to being democratically elected. That would have been a game changer in the world where no socialist had ever been democratically elected during the height of the Cold War. Uh, and it was at that point when the United States uh, in the early 60s, in a reaction to Allende's near election and the fact that he was running for president again in 1964, uh, decided to start to pour money into Chile and turn Chile into the kind of an experimental model for the Alliance for Progress, which was started during the Kennedy era. The CIA went into Chile. U.S. corporations went into Chile with the support of the U.S. government. They attempted to create a new middle class and build a middle class party, the Christian Democrats led by Eduardo Frey. Um, the CIA paid for 50% of Frey's um, uh, electoral campaign in 1964 secretly. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, elected by a significant margin. In Chile, you didn't have a 
one part, two party system, you had a multi party system, uh, and um, uh, easily three or four candidates would be vying for 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 the presidency. Uh, and in the case of Eduardo Frey in 1964, he was uh, elected and beat Allende. Um, but his platform, which was certainly influenced by Allende supporters, um, uh, uh, even with U.S. help, uh, didn't succeed in kind of ending the the, the growth of the of the left and the demands for for nationalizing these copper the copper industry. And that is how Allende came to win in 1970. So he's elected in 1970. And how is he received? Once I can already imagine what this answer is, but how is he received? Um, and uh, how did the uh, United States, I guess it was already involved. How did it react? Well, in 1969, when Chile did not uh, appear to, to, to challenge the United States in any way, Henry Kissinger referred to the country as a dagger pointed at the heart of Antarctica. In other words, he was disparaging its um, geopolitical and geostrategic significance as basically being nothing for the United States. But then Allende was narrowly elected in a three-way race. He he beat the oligarchical candidate, uh, Jorge Alessandre, um, and and, uh, he was president-elect. And now for Kissinger, this was a mortal threat to U.S. interests in the region and in the world. Um, And suddenly Chile became, as Kissinger put it to to Richard Nixon, you know, the most important decision and the most important threat to us uh, in the hemisphere now uh, and in in the future with world implications. So the United States, which had had a significant presence throughout the entire 60s to try and stop Allende, you know, really went into high gear. Uh, Richard Nixon unleashed uh, the CIA in Chile. He called a meeting in the Oval Office on September 15th, 1970, uh, only 11 days after Allende had been elected and long before he actually assumed the presidency and basically said to the CIA, go make the economy scream, develop a regime change plan for me, implement it. This scheme uh, was uh, led to some of the most uh, tr- uh, you know, significant atrocities uh, in U.S. foreign policy history. The CIA paid a team of, of thugs uh, working with the Chilean military um, to try and kidnap the Chilean commander in chief of the armed forces uh, who stood in the way of a, of a coup. Um, the kidnapping attempt turned into an assassination. Uh, The CIA then paid for all the people that it had worked with to flee the country, bought their silence, extricated their families from Chile, etc. And the whole effort to keep Allende from being ratified by by the Chilean Congress and from being inaugurated uh, failed. Uh, So in early November of 1970, Allende was inaugurated president of Chile, the first democratically elected socialist. Um, and the U.S. reaction, Nixon and Kissinger, they were beside themselves. Richard Nixon decided this was a personal affront to the United States. He told his National Security Council, you know, they shouldn't be able to kick us around. Um, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and Henry Kissinger sent a long memo to Nixon basically saying, we can't live with Allende. Um, a, he's going to expropriate U.S. properties worth over a billion dollars. B, and even more importantly, he represents 
the democratic election of a socialist. Mm. And we mm. have repeatedly gone on record as respecting uh, the democracy. And there's very little we can do about this. How can we protest the self-determination of another country and intervene uh, when we are on record as respecting the sovereignty of other countries and self-determination uh, and, and non-intervention. But he says, if we fail to respond to Allende's election, the rest of the world will see us as impotent uh, in asserting our control over our sphere of influence. And so we have to go about covertly destroying the model that Salvador Allende can create. And he wrote a passage that I really want to share with you. Yes, please. Um, from this top secret memo to Richard Nixon from Henry Kissinger. As, he, as Kissinger puts it, the example of a successful elected Marxist government in Chile would surely have an impact on and even precedent value for other parts of the world, especially in Italy the imitative spread of similar phenomena elsewhere would in turn significantly affect the world balance and our own position in it. Oddly enough, today we're talking all about NATO and its influence. And what Kissinger was worried about was that socialists would be elected in kind of uh, coalition governments um, of the left in NATO countries if Allende was successful, and then NATO would somehow splinter. And in fact, uh, socialists were elected in a number of the NATO countries. Uh, NATO did not splinter. Kissinger was proven completely incorrect. But by that time, of course, he'd already significantly engaged in destroying Allende, destabilizing Chile, um, uh, and ending the model of what Allende called the Via Pacifica to socialism. The, the peaceful road to socialism, structural change uh, through democratic means. During his presidency, was Allende able to implement any change in the country in his short time? Well, he did start off um, very quickly. Uh, he moved to completely nationalize the copper companies. Uh, and then when a scandal erupted over leaked documents from IT&T, the International Telegraph and Telegram Company, that showed that the company had collaborated with the CIA to try and prevent Allende from becoming president, he expropriated um, IT&T uh, in 1972, I believe it was. Um, he implemented a pension reform. Um, he tried to move towards free education, um, pull power away from the church when it came to dominating the educational curriculum uh, in Chile. Uh, he tried to implement agricultural reform uh, to help the peasant classes uh, in Chile. All of this gained him you know, significant uh, opposition from the landed gentry, uh, the Chilean upper classes, uh, from the church itself, uh, which didn't like him. Um, and increasingly, U.S. efforts to destabilize Chile by secretly cutting off credits, uh, by CIA destabilization, CIA funding of the main newspaper, which was inextricably opposed to Chile and to, to Allende and became a leading bullhorn of opposition. You know, kind of pushing people forward to, to try and overthrow the government. 
El Mercurio was called. And the owner of El Mercurio, Augustine Edwards, was Chile's richest man. And he was a direct collaborator with the CIA uh, in an effort to overthrow Allende. He even came to Washington and met with the CIA director and with Henry Kissinger uh, after Allende's election and passed detail after detail of intelligence on who the would-be coup plotters would be in the military and the political classes and the business class, et cetera. So Allende had significant opposition, and, and um, over time, both his policies and the U.S. efforts at sabotage became very costly for the Chilean uh, economy. Uh, shortages developed, and the opposition grew to Allende's government. And when does the military start to get involved in in the in its own country, the Chilean military? You know, we have declassified documents uh, in my office that show that. General Augusto Pinochet uh, went to uh, Panama um, in 1972 and began discussing with the with the U.S. military uh, the idea of, of Allende's government being terminated by a, a coup. Made it clear that he was in the coup plotting camp um, in Chile. There was a, a general named Carlos Prats. Allende brought him into the cabinet. Um, he uh, worked with uh, Prats. Um, the Christian Democrats were negotiating with Allende to try to come to some kind of political accord. The CIA pressed the Christian Democrats to end their negotiations uh, and refused to really support the military in, in pushing for a coup until those negotiations were, were over. Uh, and um, you had a, a kind of just a devolution, a spiral downhill uh, upheaval. Um, and eventually a CIA just did go ahead and back uh, the military um, uh, and gave them uh, tacit support um, for, uh, for, for a coup. What was Allende's relationship with Castro and why was it so threatening? Well, in fact, it shouldn't have been seen as threatening because Salvador Allende was the opposite end of the of the, the spectrum of of revolution in 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 Latin America. Fidel Castro had led an armed insurrection in in Cuba. Um, he was the model of uh, the violent overthrow of the established uh, institutions of his country. Salvador Allende was a career politician. Uh, who got himself elected president on a platform of peaceful change. Um, certainly he was focusing on the need for institutional and structural change. Chile needed that to become a more equitable um, system and a more equitable community. Even today, they're still grappling with that very issue. Uh, and uh, so Allende represented um, not violence, but um, but uh, democratic uh, change through 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 the ballot box. Um, but Kissinger didn't want this model to survive. Uh, and so he basically pressed Richard Nixon to throw everything the United States could uh, at Chile, um, uh, a country he once disparaged as being meaningless, was now somehow the most important, you know, U.S. target in all of, of, of Latin America. Fidel Castro came to Chile in 1971. He clearly overstayed his welcome. He stayed for four weeks. Uh, there were Cubans who were working on Allende's security team because they specialized in keeping assassination assassins away from him. 
Um, but, um, you know, in the end, Castro tried to tell Allende to kind of arm the workers uh, and Allende resisted. He said, that's not my Via Pacifica. That's not my way. Um, and so even though it became clear in 1973, particularly after June of 1973, that a coup was coming, um, the Chilean government and, and, and uh, the Chilean people were uh, not prepared to defend themselves against uh, against the Chilean military. Wow. So how did the events of September 11th, 1973 unfold? It was a slow um, process through the summer of 1973. There was a, a coup attempt that failed in June uh, of 1973. The CIA stepped up its efforts to push the Christian Democrats to completely uh, disown and oppose uh, Allende. Um, the CIA stepped up its efforts in El Mercurio and its collaboration in El Mercurio uh, to push through the media, the establishment media, to calling for the overthrow of the government. It would be like if the New York Times called for the overthrow of Biden. You know, this was wow. this was uh, the equivalent. Um, and um, uh, and eventually, um, political pressure forced Allende to remove Carlos Prats, who was the kind of top general of the, of the, of the Chilean army um, uh, who was against a coup, uh, but political pressure forced Allende to remove him from the cabinet, for him to resign from the cabinet, and he was removed from his post as the, as the leading official in the Chilean army, and who replaced him by General Augusto Pinochet, a pro-coup general. So by early September, it was a, you know, a one-day, a 10-day progression, actually, towards coup plotting. The U.S. intelligence found out about the coup several days in advance. Nixon was alerted. Nobody, of course, shared this information, uh, specifics with with Allende or the Chilean government. Um, and on September 11th, 1973, Chile's 9-11, um, Allende was overthrown. He committed suicide in the Moneda Palace rather than be captured. It's clear from tapes that were intercepted that Pinochet planned to kill him anyway. Um, he gave an incredible speech to, to the Chilean people uh, before he died, um, that their kind of struggle for equality would, would live on, live past him. But dark days descended on Chile from that moment on. And, you know, the, uh, the Chilean coup was a, a shock to the world, um, much as the world is shocked today by what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, there were a lot of hopes uh, for the Chilean experiment, um, you know, around the world. Uh, it was a different era. Um, it was an era when the third world was, was struggling to, to gain its footing, uh, to find a, a model to follow, um, to strive for, for, for equality uh, in governance. Um, and here, Ayene seemed to represent the possibility that you didn't have to go through armed upheaval in order to change your society for the better. So uh, the bloodshed was new to Chile. Um, the death of Allende shocked the world and the bodies floating down the river and Pinochet and the military juntas, you know, newfound repression really, really did, really did shock the world at that time. As you said, I mean, the timing of this, it's, it's, it's all of a sudden become so rel- relevant. Um, what 
can we learn from this? What, what can we take away, especially now with the um, invasion of uh, the Russian forces in Ukraine? I mean, the key lesson of Chile, of course, is that change uh, is something that each country needs to address on its own. Uh, and that this whole idea of, of spheres of influence, um, of hegemonic powers dominating smaller countries is an imperial, imperious, um, and dangerous uh, concept. In the case of Chile, the United States, for specious false reasons, um, really only because it could, uh, attempted to engineer the overthrow of a democratically elected government, and then embraced and welcomed a bloodthirsty, you know, repressive military dictatorship to, to power, um, which ended up, you know, killing many of its own people, sending international assassins around the world uh, to kill opponents who were in other countries, including in Washington, D.C., um, and becoming a pariah, you know, human rights violations, torture, disappearance, I mean, completely antithetical to the values of the American public. Chile had a huge backlash on the CIA, on the Nixon administration. It will forever be part of Kissinger's infamous legacy. Uh, and of course, the human rights consequences for Chileans are still being felt today as, as families are still searching for more than a thousand of their loved ones who were disappeared during the the military era, uh, and even one U.S. citizen, Boris Weisweiler, uh, who remains disappeared from, from that time. Uh, so there's a lot of consequences there. Um, and um, it's, I think, illustrative that, that, that the United States sh should have learned a lesson about uh, throwing its weight around in the Western Hemisphere, um, deciding that there were world consequences for kind of regional change. Um, and um, setting in some ways the kind of precedent that, that we see being enacted now by the Russians in, in Ukraine, where the Russians have the same concept, you know, they want their sphere of influence and they want to be able to do what they want to do. And in some ways, the United States was doing the same thing in Chile, it just was doing it covertly so that it could be plausibly denied because uh, U.S. officials were far more sensitive than Vladimir Putin to the idea of destroying our reputation as supporting, you know, freedom and democracy and self-determination and non-intervention. Uh, so we went ahead and did this covertly rather than overtly, as the Russians have chosen to do in Ukraine. So at the end of the day, we always ask our guest experts during our aftermath episodes. At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or a thing, it can be a concept that is to blame for the Chilean coup. Who or what would that be? Well, as the architect of U.S. strategy and policy to overthrow democracy in Chile and embrace dictatorship, I would have to name Henry Kissinger, uh, first and foremost, as the key U.S. official uh, in charge of that entire program. Uh, against opposition from his own top deputies, uh, he pushed the CIA to go into to Chile. He influenced the president of the United States, Richard Nixon, who didn't need much influence, I have to admit, um, to uh, make sure that 
uh, Allende did not succeed. And then he embraced Augusto Pinochet, General Pinochet, despite the uh, ongoing human rights atrocities that were shocking uh, the, the world. He didn't really give, uh, uh, I, know, I suppose it's very uncouth to say, Henry Kissinger didn't really give a rat's ass about human rights. Uh, and um, uh, and that played out in, in Chile and then in other Latin American countries that were uh, quickly taken over by, by, by the military. But if there was one thing that we could identify besides a person or an individual, it is that hegemonic powers such as the United States and Russia believe that might makes right uh, and that they have the imperial and imperious kind of uh, attitude towards smaller countries like Chile, like the Ukraine, to simply uh, intervene, invade, destroy uh, in the name of, of in some national security. Uh, and, you know, uh, Russia's national security is not threatened by the Ukraine. U.S. national security was not threatened by the election of Allende. Kissinger's complete arguments were completely dispelled by, by the events of history that, that came after Allende. Um, so, um, you know, we have to go back to these, these principles that were developed after World War II for non-intervention, uh, sovereignty, independence, um, and respect for smaller countries. Um, uh, that lack of respect is why we're facing this crisis in, in Europe today and uh, certainly why we did what we did in Chile almost 50 years ago. Peter, thank you so much for speaking with us today and helping us understand what is, uh, you know, the, this topic. You're, you're more than welcome and congratulations for this timely uh, exploration of history that's still so relevant to what's going on in the current day. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. With us today, we have as producer Alex Paul. Hello. <laughs> and fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And welcome, Alex, to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. It's such a fun topic. I want to buy his book. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe I, I just want to explain to everyone that when we do the schedule, um, we do it months in advance, essentially. And the fact that the timing of this, that it, it, it you know, we just recorded this last week and it's coming out during this it, is really incredible. And uh, again, I can't believe sometimes how relevant these historical tragedies. Well, it begs the question, do you feel responsible for the invasion of Ukraine? No. <laughs> do you think that if the podcast didn't exist... Uh, that Putin would have gone in? No, I don't. I feel confident in my okay. statement of of no, I don't think okay. I caused... I mean, it's just interesting, the timing. I don't know. Um, what What is interesting to me is how history repeats itself. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he. I totally agree. I thought that was a fantastic interview, and it yeah. made me want to buy the book as well. Um, and he was so articulate and sort of giving color to this to this moment in time um i I don't even know where to start but the 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 thing that stuck with me the most was i guess this idea of kissinger having going from zero to 60 on on chile right first Mm -hmm. he's like it is a totally it's a waste it would be total waste of time and then all of a sudden it is the greatest threat to american ideals i guess and because uh, socialism came about as through democracy, which is our system, and it makes total sense, and yet it's also um, so disturbing that America would get involved and feel so threatened, and 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 you know the fact that Peter talked about how wrong Kissinger was about how that would affect right. the rest of the world and mm-hmm. all the other NATO countries, I thought was uh, just so illuminating. Yeah, f- 50 years later, right? It's been 50 years pretty much. Um he's been he was proven wrong. And it also to me it's a great example of how the United States is so against socialism whichever way that it comes about, right? Mm-hmm. Because years before it was through a revolution in Cuba and then this was, you know, that was sparked as like, that's to blame, right? He shouldn't just overthrow 
a dictatorship. Right. Fidel Castro shouldn't just come in there and do it. And we need to intervene because that's so violent and wrong. And Allende took a different approach and it was still just a target. Yeah, I think the fact that his approach worked and that it wasn't something that the United States could point at and be like, that was wrong, right? Because like like Peter said, it, you know, he he did a Castro Castro's revolution was violent mm-hmm. um and this was a peaceful yeah la uh, via pacifica yeah structural change through democratic means which is even somehow more threatening to the United States which is so it's all so disturbing especially as somebody who i guess in 2022 here we are and i have an interest in in and a belief in uh, the power of uh, and potential of social welfare programs in our country um, in, in raising up uh, uh, the less fortunate and the marginalized communities that we have. And, you, you know, the only way we're going to get there is through these democratic means, through peaceful. Uh, and that's exactly what Allende was all about. He was like the peace by peaceful means we're going to. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to bring up our our nation and and make them. Um, less susceptible to these uh, to these traps of of poverty and and uh, he called uh, he called them the Bernie Sanders yeah yeah uh, totally oh that made me sad I mean in a good way I was like oh but Allende did become president Um, (laughs) (laughs) so it's a little different although I'm glad that we didn't have to experience I guess a coup against Bernie Sanders that would have also been Oh, I, I'll bet you that's a, a big reason why people, you, you know, I, I think that people, you know, accuse Bernie and, and you know, some of these left wing uh, Congress people, um, you know, they throw around this word socialism and communism. And it's it, I think that there, you know, there's like a tacit understanding mm-hmm. of like, OK, this is kind of a threat. Like if you put them in there, like we're just going to. I don't know. It's I think people are get real nervous about it. Yeah, I mean, growing up, you know, my communist, uh, my communist, my Cuban, <laughs> um, my Cuban grandparents. <laughs> God, they are they really angry right now. <laughs> no, my Cuban grandparents were all, all I kept here. You know, I would hear them talk about Allende as a, a communist. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I remember a, a specific moment where I was obsessed with the book House, uh, House of Spirits. Um, and I, that is actually written by, I believe, uh, Allende's granddaughter. So Isabella Allende is I, his granddaughter. And um, fact checker, please. Yeah. Uh, right, but I remember reading that book at my grandparents' house and my grandma was like mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was written by his granddaughter. Yes, by a communist, by the granddaughter of a communist. <laughs> and well, therefore- that goes to show like how strong and how powerful the United States is with spreading a message and with covert operation and covert intervention. And it, I mean, I'm so fascinated by the subject because also like files are classified for decades. So a lot of times we don't even get to know how the CIA is involved, because I believe with the US, it's 25 years. And so we like people like your grandparents or my grandparents 
don't know the declassified documents and right. it creates sentiment and creates uh, such strong feelings around socialism. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, exactly. And that sentiment, like just, just what you're saying is somehow can be m- way more powerful than the actual unfolding of events and actually uh, w- what actually happened. Right. Well, I think what's so interesting is like Kissinger knew that and the CIA knows that they know that like just a forceful violent intervention isn't isn't going to create public um support and so they you know employ these more covert operations and back different countries military instead of just going in themselves because they know they have to do these things covertly which yeah i mean i wasn't here for the main episode so did we who did we put in jail i believe um is it anti-socialist sentiment? Who did um, we put in jail? Yeah, let's just check up on that and make <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes, the United States anti-socialism communism sentiment went to jail, and it looks like the Chilean military got the big slap. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like I, I loved what Peter said his response, right? It was, you know, Kissinger, essentially, who was the one behind the scenes who was doing it. But re- like, I-, I loved how he touched on that, uh, the-, the topic of, uh, of a lack of respect for small countries. Mm. Yep. Um, and, and just that thinking. Yeah, for sure. He put it as sphere of influence too. the importance of and uh, hegemonic powers dominating countries. Yeah. Yep. So our, what if we, this is crazy, you guys. Um, what if we did send, it feels more like sending Kissinger mm-hmm. to the alarmist jail feels right. And because the, the, the tool, the tactic he used was, was he, he knew that that sentiment was, would be so strong, that mm-hmm. anti-socialist, anti-communist sentiment was so strong at the time that he could use that in order to get everyone behind him. He right. harnessed he could it. Deflate those yeah. two ideas too. Um, I loved how uh, Peter was unambiguous about k- putting Kissinger uh, to blame. I mean, he, it was very clear as he started speaking when he wanted to go into more of the idea of um, the hegemonic powers. Then he sort of, you know. Um, he sort of transitioned to there, but it, he was very clear. It should be Kissinger. Well, and yeah. I think based on his, the interview we had, which was like so excellent and obviously well-researched and well-understood, uh, then we should just take his lead in my mind. Yeah, and I, I t- totally agree with you where this idea that no matter how small of a country you are, you deserve your own autonomy and the people within that country deserve to choose who they want their leader to be. And just because they have copper in their country or just because they, you know, believe in a economic system that other superpowers that we're, you know, against doesn't mean that they deserve to be um, intervened with and messed with. They deserve their own space. Yeah. Yeah. They don't deserve to be invaded. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I feel good about that. I'm going to call it. 
Can Kissinger? I? Sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I cu- I've never cut you off. Oh my mid- God. This is the first time. I've never cut you off mid, uh, what do you call it? Uh, mid judgment? calling it? Yeah. <laughs> but I also think we should consider slapping it. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Slapping as well. Uh-huh. He mentioned at the beginning, the copper companies, and Alex was talking about this too, but, and then he also mentioned IT&T. So mm-hmm. what's so interesting to me is you never hear about these companies. I mean, even though that they were just central to American interests in this country, I've never heard of Kennecott Copper, Anaconda Copper, or IT&T. I just never heard of that. I mean, maybe I'm just like in the dark here, but I don't know. To me, like, it's important to hold these parties accountable as well. Um, and, and you, you know, I don't know how you would, I, I don't know, give him a slap. I don't know. That was my, my suggestion. <laughs> that was your, your big my pitch suggestion. to, well, to slap. And it's also right. So those companies are part of a capitalistic society, right? So shifting to socialism and shifting to nationalizing the copper, it's all part of the anti-socialist sentiment. Mm -hmm. And I I think like for this event, right? Kissinger is so clear. He is so clearly the like devil and the mastermind of all this, but he is no longer, you know, our security advisor and it still lives on our like the, the, the our being handsy like not yeah. being only handsy with animals but being handsy with other countries and just <laughs> feeling like we can get in there and do whatever we want can humans, humans handsy. i mean they need just need to stop keep your hands to yourself <laughs> keep your hands to yourself. getting handsy ah um okay i i like that i hear you i think i think we can call it like the um for this particular tragedy, I think it it, it was the copper uh, companies, but I, maybe I'll call it American economic interests in foreign countries. Well, I, I mean, I think Alex put it right. I mean, I think it still was the fear, the fear of the socialism. Oh, fear. Okay, uh, got it. Yeah, it was a fear of the of those, com- you know, of losing the economic interests of those. It's sort of yeah. all kind of yeah, it is, the same it, it, thing, it, uh-huh. but social so the com- country becoming socialized socialismized would be <laughs> yeah that's definitely it it changes um, the world economy is what americans right. Do, right what the government fears is that well we are a capitalistic society as americans and if that isn't the main world system we won't be the superpower that we mm. like to be so yeah, it gets rolled into the fear of the it's socialism. All, okay. It's all wrapped into one. Uh, all right, I'm going to call it. Henry Kissinger, you're going to the alarmist jail. Our fear, our American fear of socialism and communism. You're going uh you're getting slapped. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what I'm doing with you. <laughs> You should also be in the alarmist jail, honestly. But uh, we're we're changing that for for now, based on our interview. Um, yeah. Again, thank you, Peter, for coming on the show and just you know really really sharing his uh, information. His uh... planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details giving us so much insight on this topic. Um, and Alex, thanks uh, your first uh, first time as producer. Here yeah, on thank show. you for How having did it feel? me. Yeah, are you going to come back? I'm <laughs> shaking in my boots, but yes, I Wow, you, can, you got a good poker face. <laughs> you seem all right, so... Um, all right, well, uh, tune in next week because we are going to be discussing Joan of Arc. Erios. Powered by ACAST.